This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 23 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union. If your checking account is at a big bank, chances are you're paying big fees or getting little in return for the huge minimum balance you're required to maintain. But if you're using a free checking account from DCU, things are more than a little different. Every account includes no minimum balances and no monthly maintenance fees, free use of the 23 DCU branches in Mass and New Hampshire, and more than 5,900 shared branches nationwide, free use of the 35-plus DCU ATMs in Mass and New Hampshire, and more than 80,000 surcharge-free non-DCU ATMs nationwide. Free use of DCU online and mobile banking. Carrier data and message rates may apply. DCU is a not-for-profit financial cooperative owned by and operated for their members. And giving back is central to what they do. And I know because DCU's been helping me achieve things for over a decade. The week of Veterans Day, I want to say hi to all of my Afghanistan friends that I met in 2011 a trip that was made possible because of my friends at DCU. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. With over 20 years of experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. From supporting and energizing your already established brand to developing your company's identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. You'll see their designs all over the Mistress Carrie social media pages, the podcast, Cocktails in the War Room, and very soon, MistressCarrie.com. So if your business could use a little freshening up, find out more at LatiniCreative.com. Okay, before we get going on this week's episode, I want to send some love to Christina, Robert, and Heidi. They are the latest recipients of the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. As we get towards the end of the year and you start thinking about what do you get for the person that has everything, especially in these crazy times, get them a little more Mistress Carrie. The Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass gives you access to everything backstage. The behind-the-scenes working of everything that I got going on. Exclusive pictures and blog posts and polls, plus insight into the podcast and cocktails in the war room. And coming very soon, discounted merchandise on MistressCarrie.com. It's a great sounding board for me to work through creative ideas. And it's an awesome community of people that have joined together out of their love of music and the rock lifestyle. So log on to Patreon.com slash MistressCarrie and get yourself or someone you love a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. 
Okay, episode 23 is another opportunity to turn you on to a new band you may not have heard of. I feel bad only knowing a couple of references to Iowa, Field of Dreams, and Slipknot. But now I can add something else to the list. The band Saul. It's four guys, two of whom are brothers, and they just celebrated the release of their debut album, Rise as Equals, in October. The song King of Misery, which is out right now, was co-written by David Draymond from Disturbed. And I got a chance to sit down with Blake Bedsall, the lead singer. We talked about what it was like growing up in Iowa, why he turned to music, being in a band with his brother, having a lot of our favorite musicians as his mentors, and the writing process during COVID-19 with David Draymond from Disturbed. I had never met him before, and he was such a great guy. His brother, Zach, was due to sit in on the interview as well, but he was a little held up having a baby. Well, his wife was anyway. I'm really excited to turn you on to a new band, so allow me to introduce you to Blake Bedsall from Saul. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to. Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Blake, hello. How's it going? Happy to be here. It's nice to meet you. Yes, finally, huh? Uh, It's been very strange, obviously, with the lockdown and everything. Um, Talking to people that I've known for a while on the podcast... But then to have to meet someone like this for the first time, rather than you coming into Boston and me being able to go to the show or to have you come to the studio, it's a little bit weird. Right, right. This is the way the world right now. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, you know, having to do this all the time. I do love the idea, though, that we can see each other when we talk, because I feel like this is about as personal as we can get. And I don't know about you, but I'm craving that personal connection and being able to be around human beings. I agree. I agree 100% because, like, it's a lot better. You get a better chemistry when you're – I mean, at least this is nice. We can't see each other, but you get a better chemistry, and you can chat better, you know, when you're face-to-face. Um, first of all, congratulations because your debut album just came out. Yes. Thank you. It's a very strange time to be a band and to release new music. It comes up over and over again in the podcast – Uh, Do you wait and release the new album when you can actually tour to support it? And this is with bigger established bands. Mm -hmm. Saul is a band that is just starting to break now. Mm -hmm. And you're in this 
unenviable position of trying to get the word out about your music and trying to get people to know who you are and you can't tour. Nope. No, I know we were in a, we were in a weird spot. I mean, we had a lot of momentum going into this year. So, and then we, we were booked with, you know, a 75 day run with hell. Yeah. Butcher babies, all that remains that all got canceled. We didn't book a show for the rest of the year. Um, we were lucky enough. We did, we did do four shows, uh, two at Sturgis, uh, one in Eastern Iowa in Fort Madison and then our hometown show. Um, but that was it. That was it. So trying to figure out if we should release the record or wait. I mean, we felt like we might've killed momentum if we would have waited any longer. So we were just, we decided to put it out. We have not seen you in Boston, right? Nope. Nope. The closest we got was New Hampshire. Now rises equals came out on October 23rd. Um, so like I said, congratulations. Thank you. Um, are we supposed to blame you for Sturgis and the virus and the sure. super spreader event? <laughs> I'm fine with that. How um, was that whole thing? I have not spoken to uh, very many bands that have actually been able to play shows this year. Mm-hmm. Normally, I ask them when when was your last show, and they talk about how it was January or February or towards the end of last year. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Well, uh, our mindset going into that was if they're not going to cancel Sturgis, if the people are still going to show up, we're going to show up. None of us got COVID. Uh, nobody I knew personally there got COVID. Um, so, I mean, it, it was it was cool for us. If you got it, I mean, damn, you're, you're an adult. Wear a mask if you want to wear a mask or don't. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like we're living in like... Um the upside down world of stranger things. I mean, there's really no other way to kind of describe it. Right. It is everything. I, I don't, I can't describe it either. It's just everything from the beginning of the year on has just been a different world. Everything, everything that we knew. I mean, we had to learn so much about how to do it live stream and how to do it this way and how to do it this way rather than just going out and grinding on the road. So it, it's definitely been a learning experience this whole year. I've had to do kind of the same thing because my radio station, WAF, got bought earlier this year and taken off the air after 50 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, taking everything that I had been doing on the air for 22 years, starting my company, launching my podcast, doing everything I can to keep the rock community in New England together, I've had to learn a whole new skill set. Right. To become a webmaster and a computer expert and my own engineer. Because if something broke at the radio station, I could always just call someone way smarter than me to come and fix it. <laughs> right. Now you're isolated at home. And if you want to continue moving forward in whatever career you have, and this isn't just with the music industry, this is everybody trying to work from home. Yep. What skills have you learned this year that were completely outside of your wheelhouse last year? Well, to put it plainly, I am not a very tech savvy guy when it comes to this type of stuff. Um, if you send me a link, I'll click it and I'll get on. I'll put my name in the, the name bar. But when it comes to all the technical stuff, that's where Zach and uh, our drummer Miles come in because they got it all figured out and they do all this and that. But uh no, no. You want me to change the tires on the bus or, or do something like that or anything else? I'll, I'll do that just fine, but I can't do this technical stuff very well. I do not have the patience for it. It's really difficult <sighs> Yeah. to not 
smash the shit out of everything when something goes wrong. Yeah. And it's like you have to remind yourself this stuff's really expensive. <laughs> I know it. I know it. But just just figure out how to route. I mean, it's all over my head when it comes to this stuff. So, like, just figure out how to route and get a good, clean signal from, like, our rack into, like, the Scarlet, into the laptop, into the OBS, into the live stream, into the, I mean, not me, not me. It won't even get done. I couldn't you figure just, it out. You just lost so many people. <laughs> I know, dude. I know. <laughs> so... Allow me to translate a little bit. When you're a musician, right, and you're trying to record and you're trying to live stream and you want to plug an instrument in or, you know, I do this video show once a week um, out of a room in my house I call The War Room. And the show was born out of COVID necessity. Um, And we call it Cocktails in the War Room. And getting, you can't just sit in front of a computer or, you know, your cell phone and get things to sound good. So then you need a microphone, then you need cables, then you need an interface, which is what you're going to plug it into so that your guitar or microphone actually talks to the computer. And then you got to figure out how to get the levels right. So if you're playing guitar and singing at the same time, the guitar is not way louder than, I mean. Or you're clipping out or something. Yeah. I mean, just getting a hardwired, really good internet connection into my new studio, which I call MCHQ, was a giant pain in the ass, and I had to get the electricians over here in basically hazmat suits to run the (laughs) cables for me. And I was like, I can't do anything if I don't have a good internet signal. So it's, it's shown me how technologically disadvantaged I was and the leaps and bounds that I've had to make, the learning curve and the drinking out of the fire hose of information that I've had to do this year, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to give it up for YouTube because if it wasn't for them, I mean, it'll be me, Zach, and Miles, you know, sitting around the laptop like, how do we figure this out? Because we got this new, like, um, what do they call it, the Black Magic? It's like a camera switcher. Yeah. So we got that, and, like, thank God for YouTube because you can go in and watch 10 videos on these guys setting it up and programming it because – that's literally how we learn everything. So You know what's sad is that years ago, I would get sucked down some YouTube video hole, right? And right. I would see all these tutorial videos, and I'd be like, who the fuck wants to sit down <laughs> and make a video teaching somebody how to do something? It seems so ridiculous, and I used to make fun of them all the time. I just want to tell those people, you are gods among men. I agree. The people that take the time to break down computer software or how to put certain pieces of equipment together, how to troubleshoot glitches. I'm sorry I made fun of you (laughs) and called you a nerd and said that it was useless and a waste of space. You guys are the ones that are keeping the world moving right now. 100%. 100%. Because anything, I mean... Okay, after we learned how to do it, um, Western Iowa Tech, it's the college here in, in Sioux City, um, they called Zach and I, and they're like, well, uh, they've seen some live streams, they've seen us do this and that, so they called us, and they're like, hey, can you Zoom us and teach the kids how to do this, the you know the class? So we did that and uh, taught them how to do it now, and so it's pretty much like a live 
you know, YouTube tutorial. So that was pretty cool. You but, could have uh, added that into your list of skills that you've acquired this year. Is that you're now what a college professor? <laughs> I guess I, I did. I, I have actually uh, taught a couple of high school classes on, uh, on music theory and everything, but uh, um, not a lot. Just three or four. Well, let's let's rewind from the beginning for anybody that's listening to this episode of the podcast, and they're and they're figuring out who the band Saul is for the first time, which. It, you know, just to backtrack a little bit for you, this is something that my radio station, WAF, was famous for for decades, was finding new artists that we knew that our audience would like and introducing them to them and really trying to help springboard the careers of the next generation of rock bands. Losing WAF after 50 years, there really, unfortunately, aren't any stations that are kind of taking up that flag and moving it forward, which is... Part of the reason for my podcast is that I still want people to say, oh, Mistress Carrie introduced me to this band and now they're one of my favorite bands and whatever. So for the people that are listening to the podcast, this is a way for us to get to know you because I can't just, when you come through town, opening up for another band or whatever, just have you come up into my studio like we would have normally. Right. So... Where and when did the band start? I know you're in the band with your brother, who was supposed to be with us. Yeah. Uh, he's busy, you know, doing something flippant, like having a baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but tell me how the band started. Were you guys kids? We were. We were. Um, so the band the band originally started in, like, 2007. Zach and I, oh, shoot. Well, let's say 2007. It was probably before that. We were... In high school, um, you know, just playing, you know, we, we were originally started off as like the Saul brothers or the Bed Saul brothers or anything like that. And um, our older brother, Caleb, the one we wrote the song Brother about, he said, let's just keep it at Saul. You know, everybody likes Saul. And um, that's just it was simple name four four letter name. So we did that. And um, after that, you know, we just started pounding around, just hitting the road, trying to do music and Zach and I just doing a bunch of acoustic sets and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, and now, I mean, the rest is history. I feel like I've been doing it for a hundred years. So, um, you know, that's really where we got our start. I talked to Aaron Jones a couple of weeks ago and was fascinated by his story because he was able to, at a very young age, recognize that he had musical ability. And okay. I joke about it in almost every episode of the podcast that I don't have any musical ability, and I'm so envious of people that do. When was it that you realized that you and your brother had musical ability? Were you really little kids? Hmm, I don't know. I didn't, I guess I didn't start playing music and getting into it real hard until I was about 16. Um, Zach was younger. Zach was like 12, 13 when he got his first guitar. I was busy off doing sports and, you know, failing classes. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was busy doing that. It seems to be a common thread too with bands. It's like, you know, you just, you, you never hear about a musician being valedictorian. You no. just always hear about them being at school because they had to be, but that they hated it and they were bored. Yep. Yep. I, I, I feel that with a lot of artsy people, you know what I mean? It, whether, what kind of arts they're into, um, their mindset for school, like, uh, I mean, I know my daughter's the same way. She really likes drawing and she's into drums and all that stuff. And 
I have to pound it into her head to get good grades. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is your one job you have to do now. This is it. So, uh, yeah, you just, can do whatever you want when you get out of school, but right now you've got yeah. to make sure you at least do this. And then when you get home, you can. Yep. Yep. She gets in trouble for drawing on her, like a test and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And now that I look back at it, it's like the exact same stuff I did. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tell her like, uh, F's are bad. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, well, those... it, there is something called, at least this is what I call it, rock star revenge, and it's nice to know that you're another victim of it. Is that um, guys in bands are just doomed to have beautiful daughters? It's just oh. what happens. There are very few exceptions of guys in bands that I know that either only had sons or didn't have kids at all. Most of the time, disproportionately. Guys in bands have beautiful daughters, and it is kind of that payback that you're talking about that, you know, everything that I did to make my parents miserable is now coming back to me. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle. Only The only one thing is I have one daughter, one kid, and my parents were dealing with four of us all about the same age. I don't all know how brothers? they did. All brothers? All brothers. Oh. I would have killed me. If I was my dad, I would have been dead. <laughs> Hey, you guys, you guys grew up in Sioux City, Iowa, right? Uh, just, we're about an hour and a half north of there. Um, uh, small town, uh, population like 600 people. So where we grew up, our uh, whole uh, county had to come together to make a school. Um, yeah, real small. I graduated with like 53 people. The only thing that I ever knew, and you're going to roll your eyes, obviously. The only thing that growing up in Massachusetts that I ever knew about Iowa was Field of Dreams. Oh, yeah. And then... I heard Slipknot for the first time and was like, okay, I'm totally in. Yep. What was it like for you growing up in Iowa as a, as a kid that ended up in a rock band? You know, spent most of my life, you know, just working, um, you know, right before uh, Brother and, and the band started to take off, uh, Zach and I and Will, our bass player, moved up here from Lincoln and uh, we were working 100-hour weeks in, in cornfields and bean fields and doing that and... Uh, that's really what we did a lot of in, in Iowa. I mean, from a young kid to tasseling and roguing and, you know. Um, I don't even know what those things are that you just said. Right, I know. See, if you're not from <laughs> Iowa or like the Midwest, you don't know. It's so like, what is that? Okay, like the corn grows and they got they have male rows and female rows of corn, right? And so the male rows pollinate the female. But so it's just corn porn out there in the fields in Iowa. That's pretty what's much, going on. Okay. Pretty much. Um, so what you do is you, you pull off the top, uh, they call it like the tassel or whatever, you know, detasseling, and you just pull it off so it doesn't pollinate the corn and flower, and it just becomes, becomes the corn stock, you know, the corn as you know it. Um, and then roguing is all you just go through the, the field with the shovel, and anything that popped up from last year's, you know, uh, planting, you just dig it out. And that's what you guys were growing up doing. Yeah. Yeah, that or you working in hog confinements. It wait what? Like hogs working with hogs, or cattle. So working, <sighs> raising them or working at the slaughterhouse. Not slaughterhouse. I I don't know if I could do that. Um, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. I, I could probably do that if I had to. Um, I would know how to do it, but I don't. I don't want to do it. Um, no, like uh, you just. It's pretty much you feed them, take care of the babies, give them shots, stuff like that. Like that these big, seems, big farms. That, that seems like a very hard way to grow up, but not in the way that I mean. I mean that you grow up 
valuing where your food comes from. Mm. You grow up valuing what it takes to make a dollar. Yeah. That you grow up very thankful for what you have because you're working really hard to get it. Right. Well, when I wanted my first amplifier and my first bass, um, I did tassel for 10 hours during the day. And then at night when I got home, I went and washed dishes at the local uh, local restaurant. It's because I needed money for it. <laughs> it's It's one of those things, too, where, you know, especially with the corn and stuff that, you know, people in big cities, especially if they're vegetarian or it's like they're so disconnected from where the food actually comes from. Mm hmm. And how difficult it is to farm. I mean, I have I have a 22 by 60 garden in my backyard that I'm looking at right now. And that's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's 22 by 60. And it's a that's lot a of work. That's a big garden, though. That's but a big I garden. But I love it. I, I'm making my Sicilian ancestors proud with my tomatoes. Very nice. But, but what are you talking about, like, acre-wise on these fields that you grew up earning your amplifiers on? Oh. How big were they? Oh, man. I don't know. 500 acres, 300 acres here and there. Um, I mean, some of these guys, 1,000 acres. It just depends. Depends on the farmer. Um, but, yeah, doing that. And, and what people don't realize, you know, Iowa grows a lot of corn, right? But they don't realize the corn, most of the corn grown in Iowa is for feed, for cattle, for hogs, for, you know, whatever, whatever kind of livestock. It's not um, the corn on the cob you get at the supermarket. No, no. We grow a lot of sweet corn, but um, I think most of our sweet corn really comes from China. But uh, we send a lot of this corn and feed over to feed their cattle and our cattle and all that. So so you get the amplifier and yeah. you decide, okay, I don't want to work in cornfields and I don't want to <laughs> work with hogs. When you and your brother announced to the family, we want to be in a band, how did that go over with your dad that's already, you know, turning gray with four pain-in-the-ass sons? <laughs> uh, it was all right. It was all right. Um, our very first gig, uh, we have a, like, I don't know if you have them there, but they're called, like, street dances. They'll block off a whole city block or, you know, a, a town block here and then uh, have bands. And, and do the whole thing like a festival style. Um, so our very first gig was it was it's always Labor Day weekend. And now the city of Sutherland ded dedicated Labor Day. Uh, it's September 5th is Saul Day in our hometown. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, so Labor Day's always been a special thing for us, you know, with uh, being one of our very first gigs. Um, we had this we had this band that's in the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, uh, they're called the scavengers. Well, we didn't know much about them. Didn't really have never heard of them. You know, they're from like the fifties, sixties. Yeah. I've never heard of them either. Okay. Okay. Well, but I'm going to track them down now that you're talking about them. Right. Right. So, so when we were younger, we lived out on this farm. And then when we were coming into like fifth, sixth grade, we decided to move into town and into town, 500 people, 600 people. I mean, you're still, <laughs> yeah. you know, so we move into town, we buy this house, uh, we're living there, and all of a sudden, you know, we're cleaning everything out, the attic and everything, and we see up there, there's a box that says scavenger. And at this point, we were already, you know, didn't know much about them. We were kind of getting into music, doing the whole thing, and comes to find out they, that Labor Day that we played on the, the balcony of the house, and uh, 
these guys kept stopping by. They're like, that's just how the scavengers did it. That they did it back in the, you know, 65 or whatever the heck it was. And uh, it was kind of cool bringing that full circle with that band. And then us being musicians, having the house and then doing the exact same thing was pretty so cool. So you guys bought a band house. Must. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Which is so old school rock and roll, but you don't hear people doing that anymore. Yep. Yeah. The Johans. I, I guess I didn't know. I didn't know. But it was cool. It was cool to find the history. And then we went up to, it's in Okaboji, Iowa. And, Wait, uh, what? Okaboji, o- Iowa? Okaboji, yeah. Hey, cool fun fact about that as well. Uh, it is the only other glacier-fed natural spring uh, lake besides the uh, the Great Lakes. It's called oh, the, really? the, the Mini Great Lakes. Yep. So we have that in just north Iowa. But uh, yeah, it was cool. So we went up there and talked to the Rock and Roll Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up there and, and got all the backstory, and it was cool. Were you play when you get invited to play this like block party or whatever? Are they letting you play original music or are you? Because what would happen most of the time around here is that if they allowed a rock band, you'd most likely be playing you know cover songs. Covers. Yeah. Um, we played covers early on, and I mean I think every band does that. It kind of gets your foot in the door, makes it helps you learn how to play your instrument and do everything uh, correctly. But uh, uh, you know, since probably let's say. Ooh. I don't know it's it's been a long time. I haven't played covers in years. Um I just refused to. Zach and I said, no, if we're gonna do it, go go original or you know, go home. So uh I haven't done it in years. But there's a lot of cover bands around here, like a lot. Um there's a, a, a pretty extensive track record of bands that um brothers specifically get into together mm-hmm. and famously it makes life miserable. I mean, you look at <laughs> bands like the Black Crows or Oasis or, you know, I think even the guys in Chevelle had some issues with one brother. Right. And So there's a certain degree of difficulty of trying to have a band with your brother and maintain family holidays. <laughs> right, right. How Were you guys concerned about that at all? Or did you and Zach just always get along and it hasn't been an issue? You know, Zach and I always get along. <clears throat> Definitely we have our issues. Um I mean, even just being down in the studio with Dawson, our, our engineer manager, uh, Zach and I got into a scuffle, you know, an argument or whatever. And, uh, you know, we, we walk upstairs. We're kind of taking a break. We're up on the on the deck and everything. And he comes up and he's got his head down and everything. And then he hears Zach and I laughing, you know, hanging out, chilling. And then he's like, oh, my God, dudes. He's like, I was coming up to try to tell you guys not to break up the band. He's like, I thought I just saw the band broke up, <laughs> you know, in the studio. We're like, and you're like, oh, what? This is just Thursday. He's my yeah. brother. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was it was no big deal. Um, but, yeah, definitely we have our we have our arguments. But uh, I've never been in a band with anybody else besides Zach. So I really don't know what it would be like to be with somebody else. And he's my favorite guitar player. And uh, he handles a lot of the workload, especially when it comes to the technical stuff. Um so, I mean, it's it's great. It works out definitely for us. Like, when it comes to, like, family get-togethers, it's me and Zach just sitting there talking business, like, the whole time. And Does that then, annoy the rest of the family? It's probably, probably. <laughs> I don't know. So, you really start this momentum that you were talking about with Saul, and things start moving, and you're working on your debut record that we talked about that just came out a couple weeks ago. Yep. Um. And you're dealing with, you talk about the closeness of your family and obviously the way that you grew up, and you're dealing with something as a family of men 
that I want to talk about if you don't mind, because I think your perspective on it is really interesting. Um, my mom also got diagnosed with cancer uh, years ago. Uh, luckily for me, it was a survivable type of okay. cancer, and she was able to beat it and move on with her life. Your family went through a completely different experience. And I'm really curious because you were four brothers and a dad. Yep. Losing the matriarch of the family while you're constructing this album and kind of pouring everything that you have into this music. Can you talk about that and what that was like? Uh, it was hard. You know, uh, when when we were working on this record, uh, at one point we were working with Morgan Rose and we were over in Illinois and uh, call home and, and dad answers the phone and he's like, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be putting mom on hospice. And uh, uh, so we we're like, what the hell do we do? And he's like, he's like, you'll be back. And Zach and I were supposed to be flying to Atlanta the next day and uh, working on another song at another studio. And uh, Morgan, Morgan Rose, I, I give him huge props because he kind of grabbed us both and kind of shook us. He's like, snap, snap it together, man. Get it together. He's like, get your, get your butts home. Um, he's like, there's other records, there's other songs, there's other time for this. He said, you, you can make a million songs, but you only get one mom. And uh, kind of, you know, snapped us to it. And we're, we took off from there and uh, headed home. And, you know, luckily we did because we only had about two weeks left and she was gone. Um, so it, it was... You know, I, I I thank him for that. But when, when it came to writing the record and doing all that, it was definitely tough because just trying to stay connected at home and stay in a creative mindset and stay on on a, a correct path to get everything done. You know, on a scheduled time, and it, it was I wouldn't wish it on anybody. For Did sure. it change the sound of the record? Did it change your music? I don't know. I don't know. I was so immersed in what was going on. I, I guess I don't know if it changed it or not. You know what I mean? I, I don't know how it would have turned out if everything was fine at home or I just, I guess I don't know. I've always made a joke that, you know, rock and roll wouldn't exist if women weren't bitches. Um, <laughs> and so that we can take credit for being the inspiration behind, you know, this amazing art form that we all love. But I, I think that it's something that comes up in the podcast now more than ever is that every band is kind of hunkered down right now trying to create something because they need that outlet to get through this year. Right. And you guys had a really hard 2019. Right. Coming into what has been everyone's miserable 2020. How helpful was it for you to, to have that creative outlet? Again, because someone like me, I don't have that ability to channel everything I'm going through into something like music. So how is it mentally helpful for you? Uh, I need it. I absolutely need it because say, you know, especially in 2020, I mean, we haven't really been able to play. Luckily, I mean, luckily we did have the opportunity. Um, like we did the song, uh, King of Misery with David Draymond. We had to do it over uh, like a zoom session, you know, very similar to this. Um, so we needed that. We did, uh, Things Change, uh, Rises Equals, um, all these songs we did in, you know, the pandemic time of, uh, of uh, COVID. So, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful that we had that and uh, something to do, 
because I don't know what we'd have done if we would have released the record in like December of 19 and then just been sitting on our thumbs for all of 2020. I would have shoot me, please, because I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm really grateful that we had that. And then when all of us guys come together and we actually have a chance to jam in, in the rehearsal spot and then do a live stream, I mean, it's huge smiles. Everybody's like, thank God, because I was done. I was ready to call it quits. But then you see guitars strap on and drums going and everybody's just huge smiles. I mean, music's a huge part, I think, to everybody's life. And they may not entirely realize it, but it's it's huge. Everybody needs it. And I do. I know specifically. Zach just showed up, too. So, uh, uh, hi, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> cool. But yeah, it's huge. Uh, one of the things that keeps coming up with all the musicians that I talk to is, um, the missing of the connection with your fans. Yep. And social media is great to be able to kind of keep in touch with people or whatever, but talk about that relationship in person, especially for a newer band, because you know that the fans you have right now are the diehards. Yep. They sought you out. They jumped on board from the minute they heard note one. And now you can't be with them. Right. And, you know, and that's another thing about this year. I mean, if we go way back to what we had to learn, we had to learn how to stay connected through any means of social media possible. Um, just because that connection was so deep and, and, and passionate with, with the equals. And that's why we call our fans the, our equals, you know what I mean? And the, the album is Rises Equals and the song Rises Equals um, because it is a tight knit. We are a family. Um, we have this page, Saul Equals Rising page, and it's uh, like our fan page. There's about 5,000 members on there and it is tight knit. I mean, we're always helping each other out. We're doing this, you know, donating, doing it's It's hard not to be connected with them on a physical level as well, you know, to where we can actually fist bump and high five and hug and, and do all that and see their faces in the crowd. I mean, cause when you're doing a live stream, you get done with the song. It's just dead air. You're it just... is really strange. I love the, the live stream shows. Don't get me wrong because I'll take live music any way that I can get it. Right. But it is really weird. Same thing with watching a sport, you know, a game on TV, somebody makes a great play or like whatever. And, there's nothing. There's no, no noise afterwards. There's it's no eruption so, of the crowd. There's it's no. It's so weird. Yep, yep. So trying to deal with that um, was a whole new challenge. Uh, I like live streaming. I like to be able to entertain and, and give uh, the equals, you know, something at least something out of us. Uh, but as far as doing them, I don't like doing them just because of that reason. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely that was that was a tough thing to learn on how to stay really connected and when pandemic first started we were doing like i was doing videos of like daddy daughter date where we'd eat gross things and you know we did like the jelly bean challenge and just stuff like that just to try to stay connected and get people going so uh um, i'm definitely ready to get back to real life it's one of the themes that comes up in in interviews a lot is that it seems like this is the the time that rock music is most important is that when there, I think Aaron Jones actually said it like when the world needs rock it's always been there through tough times through whatever it is that with all of the other styles of music for some reason when people are pushed and challenged it's rock music that's always kind of there to get everybody back together and move people forward 
And, you know, I mean, that basically describes this entire year. Right, right. You know, there is something magical about rock and metal music because when you get a group of people that are, you know, rock and metal, like diehard people, they're tighter. They're tighter group of people than I think any other. Like even country, I hear, I don't go to country shows, but every time I have promoter buddies say they threw a country show, the place is wrecked. Nobody cared about each other. Nobody cared about the, the, the venue. And I'm like, that's country, dude. That's, you know what I mean? Like, why is they that They have the country way? shows here, and there's always the most uh, DUIs, the yeah, most arrests, the most hospitalized people because they can't hold their booze because they're amateurs. Yeah, I know. You go into a rock and metal show, and it could be in the same venue, and that venue's going to say, these guys treated us great. You know, there was only two fights tonight. You know, something, it's, it's always, the statistics are always better. And, like, and the music generally has a better message and like a a camaraderie sort of message that I think everybody kind of vibes with and you know we just take care of each other and that's the best way to that's the best way to have it people are just scared because of the weird color hair and the tattoos and the yeah. clothes and whatever but you know I I think that anyone that has never been immersed in the rock and metal community they just don't get it and if you are immersed in it you know, I don't want to equate it with going to church, but like going to a show is a thing. It's like you're yeah. amongst your peers. It's a shared experience. It's something very cathartic for you. Right. That's well, like the the lyrics of, of Rise is Equals. This is my tribe. These are my people. Sisters and brothers, you are my equals. And like, that's like our mantra. It's our anthem, like, you know, for the live shows and the equals. So, I mean, it's a real thing. What rock music got you into it like what like my parents introduced me to the Beatles at a very young age I was too young to listen to the White Album I think it did something in my brain okay and and ever since then it was just I, I've just always loved rock music so what was it was it an older brother or your dad like who was it that introduced you to it you know definitely okay my dad was like uh, uh, he worked overnight shifts so he'd come home and what he threw on every time was Scorpions. He loved the Scorpions. Which <laughs> That is so not what I was expecting you to say. Still to this day, I love the Scorpions. I Me think they're too. amazing. He, he, was, he was a Navy man. Um, and then when he was in the Navy, uh, his buddies were like, you know, let's go. Uh, we have a chance to see the Scorpions in Hawaii. And he's like, I don't even know who those guys are, you know, blah, blah, blah. Missed the show. He still regrets it to this day. He still t tells the story about how he should have seen the Scorpions because then he bought all the records and bought all the CDs and bought the greatest hits. And that's what he cleaned the house to. That's what he mowed the lawn to. He's, you know, Scorpions. Um, but before that, my brother Caleb introduced us to like Black Sabbath, uh, Metallica. I mean, uh, he's the one that really kind of introduced us to Chevelle too, right, really right before they blew up. Um, Stuff like that. He was really he was really involved in the music, and but he listened to anything from, I mean, metal to hip hop. Um, he was into everything. You know, he showed us like the Chronic album by Dre, and you know, and stuff like that. So uh, he really introduced us to like most of the music we we know. You just said something. Uh, it's very unscientific here on the Mistress Carrie podcast, but again, it's something that seems to be this really strange trend. Um. And I want to ask your opinion on it. There is a disproportionate amount of band members whose dads were military men. Really? It's, it's unbelievable. And it's just this thing that just keeps coming up. And 
I'm wondering if it if what your answer to it would be is your dad's military service and that kind of mindset what instilled in you the work ethic and the discipline that it takes to have a successful music career? I think so. You know, and and I say that a lot about my dad actually because he was such a, a oh, let's say, um, I guess he had a military mindset when it came to everything. You know, um, you know, just from like cleaning the house to making sure the yards in order to you know making sure we got up. We had to get up always two hours before school, get our chores done. You know, make sure we we're teeth brush, you know, red, red, we're just ready. You have to get up two hours and we have to be there 15 minutes early. So he always instilled that kind of thing to us. And uh, even when it comes to shows, when we're on the road trying to be punctual for a show, uh, we know it's a, you know, it's an eight hour drive. We'll drive it all night just to make sure we're there on time, even though we don't have to load in until three o'clock the next day, but we're there parked at, you know, you know, I don't know, whatever time, 8 a.m. in the morning just to make sure we're there, even though we could have stopped, but we're always trying to be there on time, trying to be there early, trying to show that, you know, I, I think it is just a mindset and it's a military mindset for sure. And, you know, I thank him for that a lot, you know, and uh, it's cool. I guess I didn't realize so many uh, musicians had military It's really parents. crazy, you know, like uh, Bad Wolf, Seether, Papa Roach. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I never noticed it. I mean, I've been interviewing bands for over 22 years now, and I never really until the podcast, maybe it's because I'm able to have longer conversations right. than I was able to have just when I was on the radio, but it just seems really strange that, you know, and, and just full disclosure, my husband's active duty military right now. So oh. it's like, so I know the mindset that you're talking about, you know? Yeah. But it seems just really strange that you just imagine this buttoned up, you know, father figure, you know, military lifestyle person with the long haired, tattooed <laughs> rock son. Yeah, yeah. But it keeps happening. And then in the reverse, you know, military audiences are the most rabid rock fans that there oh, yeah. are. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, brother, brother struck a chord with the military, and uh, it's huge. Um, our drummer uh, Joe Nichols, right before he left, he was active uh, eight years active uh, army, and uh, he joined right when uh, like nine eleven and all that stuff was happening. He was real young and uh, joined in, and uh, it was great to have him in the band because he had a definite military mindset as well. And he he quit, um, wanted to start his family, wanted to just stay at home, not do all the traveling and all the stress and all that. But, uh, uh, it's nice. I, I like having a military mindset, especially somebody that's actually been in the military. It's a different, it's a different sort of mentality and it def it works. It really works for, you know, really anything, you know, right before I, my dad kind of talked me out of going to the military a little bit. He's like, he was just like, is that sure? Are you sure that's what you want to do? Are you sure that's what you want to do? You know, because 9-11 came and, and well, did all that. I was going to say, you, you weren't, anyone that joined the military when we're literally at war. Yeah. It's a whole other commitment because you could join the military in previous generations and know it was a possibility. But there's a difference between it being a possibility and being an eventuality. Right. Right. Just know, like, when you sign up, you have, like, six months or whatever it is, and you're going. You're going overseas. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So my dad kind of talked me out of that because 
was just like, yeah, I don't want to see you, you guys go over there and, and do that stuff. And I was like, okay. And he would know because he, he did it himself and served. So he has this understanding and, you know, it's, you can't blame your dad for wanting to keep you at home. Right, right. So, you know, it, it worked out. It worked out. But that military mindset uh, keeps a clean tour bus, I bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not even kidding. I am a stickler about that. Big time. Well, you can't live for, for most people, they don't understand the concept of having to cram this band and your crew and everything into the close. You think these tour buses are glamorous and they're great. Don't get me wrong, but you can get claustrophobic in there real fast. (laughs) And one guy having freaking a burrito can ruin a whole bus trip. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're a grown man. Pick up your trash, pick up your, you know what I mean? Like take care of yourself. So we're all tired. We've all been out here for 30 days. We've all, you know what I mean? And we all smell. We, yeah. It's, yeah. None of us can to make it easy for me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're a new band and people are getting to know who you are. Uh, you've dropped a couple names of some artists that are huge names in the industry now. And fortunately for me, they're two guys that I know really well because I've known them since the beginning of their careers. Um, you're talking about collaborating with David Draymond from Disturbed. Yep. And you're talking about Morgan Rose from Seven Dust being there for you and giving you really sage personal advice in a time of family crisis. Yep. How did you get to meet those guys and what was that like? Because you had to have grown up a fan of their music. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it was a thing where I had this buddy, Jose, and he... He did a lot of work. He does a lot of work with with Morgan, and so I got a wild hair one day where, you know, everything's starting to wrap up, and we're talking about doing a couple more songs. Zach and I's minds are kind of running dry a little bit on ideas, and so I hit up Jose. I'm like, hey, you ever think about you know doing a co-write with uh, with uh, Saul and and Morgan Rose? It wasn't even an hour later. I got a call from Morgan. Said, "Yep, I'm in, man. Let's make it happen." Blah blah blah. He was so he was excited, super excited. So I'm like, "That's like the coolest thing I've ever had happen to me." So um, that's how that all shaked out, and uh, we we met them over in uh, Moline, Illinois, where uh, they do their studio work at, and yeah, just did that song inside off the record with Morgan, and he actually drummed the record or the that song, and it was awesome. It was awesome to see us all working together in the studio like that, and. With David, it was a little, you know, a little more uh, sterile, you know, like. Uh, oh, you had to do it over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, like sterile. Like, so uh, it's such a strange way to be creative. It, it is, it is. Especially, I mean, we're in the middle of the boonies. Like, there's nothing around us. Internet can be pretty shoddy sometimes. So we had some, we had a couple dropouts, and we're all getting kind of frustrated. And you know, I'm like, you know what? And like, I call him up quick. I'm like, give us a couple days. Uh, I got this idea. We're going to just flush it out. I'm going to record it. We're going to send it out to you. So we sent him the chorus to King of Misery and loved it. And then so like a day later, we got on Zoom and then we started piecing together. And Zach and I were piecing together the the verses and everything. And and, and David was just was loving it. He was having a good time. And then 
then he puts like all these cherries on top and then at, he was like, oh, let's switch these parts. Like, you know, that's kind of how it was. So at first getting started was was bizarre just because it is such like a, you know, if you're ta- if you're talking about trying to be creative on here, you know, looking at David or, or you like it's it's sterile. You know I'm not going mean? to help you write songs. I don't right. have that ability. <laughs> right, right. But uh, yeah, I didn't like it so much. And and he he said off the bat too, and because I've done a couple interviews with him now, and he's like he's like, be honest, dude, it sucked. And I'm like, yeah, it did. It really did. <laughs> but it worked out. It worked out. Um, got King of Misery out of it, so it was it was great. I wouldn't take it back for anything, honestly. You collaborate with guys that. Um again, have these amazing work ethics. And Seven Dust and Disturbed are these bands with this reputation for, number one, delivering live. Just right. just beating the shit out of you as a fan. Like, you walk out of those shows tired. Yep. But also, they're two bands that are always famous for creating this community with their fans and this relationship and this closeness with their fans. And that, in in my opinion, is one of the reasons why they've been able to sustain being bands for, yeah. and it blows my mind that it's been over 20 years since I've known those these guys because it, it doesn't seem possible. Right, right. But how hard is it as a newer band like Saul to just get noticed? And then how hard is it to be those bands 20 years later still kicking ass doing it? You know, we talk about that quite often. I mean, uh, you know, bands like like Seven Dust and Disturbed when they were when they were going, you know, at at a younger age, they were road dogs, man. They were they were out there grinding, headlining, and doing whatever they had to do every night, trying to make it happen. And that's one mentality that we have as well: is if you're gonna make it, you got to get out there. You got to you know get off your butt and get out there and get it done. And and so that's one thing we definitely take from them. And I just hope we have the the longevity of a career like like Disturbed and Seven Dust have had, you know, at that at that level, because, uh, you know, we're some of their their biggest fans and inspired by, you know, both the bands. And it's great. I mean, I remember back in the day we used to cover like Stupefy and, and it, you know, and down with the sickness and stuff. And. It was great. It was great. No small challenge for you to have to try and replicate all those weird ass noises David gets oh, coming yeah. out of his mouth. I know. I, I know. It's like <laughs> uh, it was a thing back then. I mean, because uh, in the studio, a lot of times we do like uh, if we're trying to get a point across, we'll like you know Zach would be like, give it a little more of this, you know, the David Draymond or the the Jonathan Davis or like you know, give it a little bit more of a Maynard style or you know Maynard James Keenan from Tool. So. We use a lot of these names in, in that in that. Yeah, nothing know. like nothing like setting a bar. You know, it's like oh yeah, just just give it a little more Maynard James. Give it, oh, yeah, yeah, right, no problem. Right. Yeah, yeah, give it a little more wah or something. You know, yeah. I don't know, but uh, uh, yeah, doing stuff like that is very is very great because we do the same thing to Zach. Give it a little more Gilmore vibe. Give it a little more uh, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's it's great. It's great doing that kind of stuff. Um, talk about like. When you're when you're collaborating with somebody like a David Draymond, right? Okay. He not only has had success with Disturbed, but then had his side project as well, and obviously has been doing it a really long time. I'm fascinated by the creative process because I don't have the ability. So when you're sitting down and you're crafting a song with a guy like him, people can hear the song now, 
So can you get specific about like some of the cherries that he put on top or some of the behind the scenes kind of things that that steered a Saul song and made it more you, but it took someone from the outside to be able to kind of give you that advice. Right, right. Well, one thing he did is like the, you know, uh, like the second half of the chorus is like the, the terrifies me that you're willing to stay. Like that whole thing, like the, the drop down and then the, the king of misery, you know, that, that, that high rise and that powerful and to see David singing it with me and he's got the fist up, you know, the David Draymond, like, Oh, you know? Yeah. He doesn't have any choice as to whether or not he does that. It's like, if he's going to sing, he just has these motions. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. He can't help it. And like to actually sit there and be a big fan of him and watch him actually do it. He's like, you know, something like King of Misery. And then he just throws a fist up. Like he just has to do it. I have this image of him like (laughs) singing lullabies just kiss at home and he's like got the yeah, fist up yeah. and he's doing this and this Mary and had a little lamb <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> oh dude yeah I, I imagine it too it's very awesome it's very cool uh, that's that's funny but uh, yeah he added stuff like that he definitely added stuff like that and you know when, when it came down to it and Zach and I uh, did the pre-pro uh, right here on the Mac and, and sent it over to him and then he just had you know, fine, fine tooth kind of, you know, details that he wanted to see happen. And, and it worked out great. And he had me do stuff like that, the high rise on, on King of Misery for the end of the King of Misery. You know, I wouldn't have done that. I would have gone, you know, I would have just gone heavier, like King of Misery, you know, like really just belted it out. Um, But he he threw in some great ideas, stuff I'm, I'm definitely using, I'll be using for a long time to come. He's somebody, and he and I have talked about this, and, and obviously Morgan Rose, the same thing. Um, they don't make it easy on themselves with their style of play and style of singing. Right. You know, taking care of David Draymond's voice with the kind of singing that he does, taking care of Morgan Rose's body right, with the way that he plays the drums it is no small feat that they have been able to maintain a level that they can play at after all these years. Right. Are you taking that example? And, and because I ask bands a lot, what would you tell your younger self about taking care of your body, your voice in order to, you know, to, so that you'd be better off where you are. Every person I know in a band is like, oh my God, if I had taken better care of my voice, if I had been, I should stretch more. I shouldn't have smoked all those years. Right. When you're collaborating with guys that have seen it and done it, are there things taking care of your voice? Are there things that the, the members of Saul are doing to be able to maintain? I mean, obviously you're not able to be road dogs right now, but. Right. Are you learning how to maintain a level of health for your career from these guys too? Yeah, trying to. Um, you know, David David got me into the mindset of um, uh, I started a training with uh, Melissa Cross, uh, the vocal wizard. The, yeah, every the, heavy metal singer like holds her up as as a saint. I mean, yeah, yep. and so and she's amazing and amazing person too. Um, so I've started doing that, and you know. Up until I started training with her, I've never been trained on any level, you know, instrument-wise, vocally, anything. So it's great to have have that now. And if I was going to tell anybody at a younger age, don't care about the price, don't care what it costs, don't don't even think about it. It don't matter. If this is what you're thinking about doing for a career, 
get the training, get the expert advice, get the vocal coach, get, get whatever you need because one, it'll only make you better right here in the moment and two, it'll make you better forever. So it's something I wish I would have done a long time ago. Um, I always kind of brushed it off like, ah, you know, it's, you know, it is what it is. And you know what I mean? It's rock and roll. It's, it's rock and roll. But then you look at these guys like rock and roll going back to the passion of the fan base and the loyalty that we talked about earlier. Rock musicians have a longevity and career that mm -hmm. no other genre of music has. Right. That if you can make an audience and, and have that loyalty and that close relationship with your fans, they will stick with you forever. Yep. Yep. And if you, you got to be able to deliver when you're older. Yep. You do. You do. I mean, look at the guys like, I mean, I don't know how old David is or like how Maynard's like, what, 60? I mean, these guys are still putting out jams and they're still rocking it live and they're still, they're doing it. You know what I mean? And so, Maynard's recovering from COVID. Oh, is he? He he talked about it. He was on Rogan and he's done a few other interviews. He got COVID in February in Australia before oh. anybody knew that the symptoms that he had were actual were symptoms COVID. of COVID. And yep. to this day, he still has lung damage and he is still suffering the effects of COVID. And it's like, we don't need in 2020 to, to have Maynard James Keenan not be able to fucking sing. Like right. COVID, can you just back off of Maynard's lungs, please? Because we need that guy. Right, right. No, yeah, that's that's terrible. That's terrible. Which I think, you know, honestly, when I got horribly, horribly sick at the end of uh, 2019, I'm pretty sure I had COVID because I still got, I got lung issues going on right now too. And I have had for a couple months now. It's really crazy the way that that this thing sticks with people that get, that get it really bad. Right. And then right. there's other people that they test positive, but they didn't even know they had it and it doesn't affect them at all. I mean, that's part of the difficulty with this whole thing is like, until they figure out why it's affecting certain people, there's always going to be people that are like, it's a hoax. And then you listen to somebody like Maynard James Keenan. It's like, I think his quote uh, was, eat a dick, man, I think is what he said on <laughs> Rogan to people that don't think it's real. Because right. he's like, fuck you. Like, I'm still suffering from it all these months later. Right, right. You know, I, I, believe, it's, I believe it's real. I honestly do. Um, my brother passed away from H1N1 when everybody was... Ah, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. But that's how he passed away. So I know I know it's real. Um, but I, I mean, I'm just not going to be the one to get upset if somebody's not wearing a mask or wearing a mask. I mean, I, I was I was the guy that wearing the mask, doing the whole thing, doing it properly. And then you go into some place like Walmart or the gas station where they enforce it. And you see guys where it's down to here. It's or it's like, yeah. you know, it's down like here. On it's their like, beard. It's like, dude, that's not doing any good. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? It's like, get the hell out of here, dude. You know, everybody else has got their mask on. Don't be a moron. But um, it also shows how dirty Americans are, too, because you know damn well, because you've seen it a thousand times. How many times have you gone into the bathroom at a truck stop or whatever and dudes walking in and out now washing their hands? Oh, yeah. And it's like, OK, now you might as well just be walking around rubbing your dick on everything. Uh huh. Because you're not what you just were holding it and then you don't wash your hands. Yep. And and it's amazing, and it's been scientifically proven that if everybody kind of washes their hands a little more and uses some hand sanitizer, that that can do a lot of help. Yeah, 
Wash yeah, your care. goddamn hands. Wash your hands, people. <laughs> Jesus. It's unbelievable. We want to go to concerts. Could you wash your fucking hands? <laughs> Seriously. It's a fact. It's a fact. Just yeah. wash your fucking hands. Although we're so hypocritical, right? Because you know damn well if we were at a show, if you weren't playing, if it wasn't a Saul show, you'd be down in the crowd with people sweat all over you, mm. rubbing up against people. I mean, you ever look at the floor after a show? Or oh, it's like, yeah. We're just, it's just dirty. It's gross. Yeah, it is. I mean, the Flaming Lips, did you see that show that they did where they were all, all every fan was in a, their own bubble? I did see that. I, well, I've seen, I saw some stuff on uh, social media, yeah. I thought it was ridiculous when they announced they were going to do it, and then I saw it, and I was like, that kind of looks fucking fun. Can you imagine being in a pit? And, <laughs> and just hitting the ball? Yes! Yeah. yeah. It would be so fun. Yep. That would be an awesome time. Like, you know, go to, like, a football stadium and go see Metallica and have 70,000 people in oh. bubbles bouncing off each other. Oh, <gasps> man. That would be so cool. God, so you'd have fun. to live stream that. People just want to see that happening. I would pay for that just to yeah. sit at home and get drunk and watch it. And just watch these guys just <laughs> run into each other. It'd be awesome. <laughs> I think we may have started a side business. Uh, <laughs> if the Mistress Carrie podcast and Saul as a band doesn't pay off, you and I need to start brainstorming in this new skill set of digital media that we have. We need to start brainstorming some of these ideas because I think we're onto something, Blake. Absolutely. I really do. I agree. I agree. So, so what? So now the record's out. Yep. And you guys are obviously promoting it any way that you can. Yep. Um, as we get towards the end of this year and into 2021, have you made any plans? Are you in a position to be able to make plans for the band right now? What What's going on? You know, we've tried. Um, our main goal, you know, in, in I think we're shooting for April is to get out and start touring again. Um, other than that, I mean, we're just, you know, racking our brains on how to try to stay active and relevant and all of the, the whole works on, on any sort of platforms for social media. So, and I, I, it's not really my thing. I mean, I like social media. I run the Saul page and I, I run the Instagram and the Twitter, but, um, you can get sucked down a rabbit hole pretty fast in that. Yes. Big time, big time. And you know, it's it's fun. I like it and all, but coming up with all these new ideas and then we need these new graphics. We need this. We need new band photos. We need, it's like, it's just a thing all the time. And I always it's had like, a radio station to do that. And now that I have my own company, I have to do that too. So I can totally empathize and sympathize with you because it can be overwhelming. Yes, it can. It can. And man, man, I get to the point to where it's, I have all this stuff coming at me, and then da Dawson, our our manager, uh, he does a lot of our graphics too. And then we're all stressed out, and then we're like, "Screw it, we're done." You know, like we'll call it a day. We'll just go like one day without talking to each other or or anything. You know what I mean? So where it's just like, I got we got to stop for at least twenty four hours, otherwise we're gonna strangle each other. And <laughs> um, but it, it's it's great. I mean, it definitely keeps us busy. And we like uh, we did buy a, a new tour bus. Um, you know, recently, what, three months ago now? So Zach and I have been doing all the work in there, putting in the bunks and the, the, the couching and seating. You building the tour bus? Now, just to pull the curtain back a little bit for people that don't know, most of the time, rock bands lease them. Yeah. And they lease them from a company, and you get the driver, and you, you get the bus for the tour, and then when the tour is over, the bus goes. So these, these buses, after they get... <sighs> properly sanitized get issued to another artist of whatever genre and they go back out you guys bought a Saul bus 
Yep. Yep. So we bought that. And then so we're doing all the work to it. And um, this thing is going to be cool. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, we're, we're trying real hard, uh, uh, you know, to make it really cool. We got Saul decals on the table and it, it's going to be cool. I'm actually going to be doing once once it's fully finished, we're going to be doing a, a, a live on Instagram and Facebook and uh, showing everybody what we did to it. So it should be it should be cool. Uh, one of the things that that always comes up in the interviews with the artists, um, because you guys are some of the most well-traveled people between, again, a correlation between the military and rock bands is that um, the military people that I know and the rock bands that I know are some of the most well-traveled people on the planet because mm. you're just constantly on the move. Yep. Um, I have not been able to, to meet you in Boston in person yet. Um I have what I call the Mistress Carrie tour of Boston. So when you guys come up this way, if you got some free time, I'll take you on all the the scenic, you know, touristy things or whatever. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about that. But one of the things that that comes up a lot, and I always ask, is um, for the bands to kind of give me a, a like a travel guide, right? Of like places that you've been around the world that you loved. Um, you know, uh, cool beers and drinks or food, like where have you gone that's been the best food? Before you talk about where in the world is your favorite place to go, whether it be on vacation or whatever, if I were to come to your hometown, yep. what's something that is only around where you are? Like I would want to make you a fluffernutter, which is marshmallow fluff, which is made here in Massachusetts. And okay. a peanut butter sandwich. And it's the official sandwich of Massachusetts. And as a kid, you grow up eating fluffernutters. Yeah. Um, what would you bring? Where would you bring me or what would you take me to eat or drink where you're from that's like a super towny local kind of thing? Okay. Well, in Sioux City, if you, if you like beers, we have a, it's called Brew City. Uh, B-R-I-O-U-X city, just like of Sioux. Of course, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's really cool. Our, our buddies uh, that own... They own uh, the Marquee uh, in Sioux City. It's awesome. Um, Marty and Kelly. But they, they make really weird. They make like a Captain Crunch beer. Um, yeah, it's like a bunch of – it's weird. It's weird, but it's all right. It's, it's pretty cool. But they, they, they do all kinds of things. Does it taste like breakfast cereal? Kind of, a little bit, but it, <laughs> it'll get you drunk. <laughs> so it's cool. Um, we have – like Iowa has Twin Beings, the candy bar. Uh, you know, I've we never have, even heard of that. No, it's like, um, no. do you know what like a no-bake cookie is? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's got like the oatmeal, the chocolate, and peanut yes. butter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like it's like these two little like cherry ball things, but it's not like, it's like cherry fluff, but then surrounded by. I love that you like, know what fluff is, by the way, because a lot of people don't even know what it is. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. It's just the fact that you, can you get it there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, but like a, it, I can't, like a nougat kind of, I don't know what it is. It's cherry, but it's the, it's the official candy bar of like Iowa. It's made here in, uh, in Iowa. If you like barbecue sauce, we have cookie barbecue sauce that are made right here in Iowa. Uh, what else we got? La Juanita's, like my favorite restaurant of all time is right in Sioux City. Uh, they were voted uh, eighth best burrito in America. Um, in Iowa? Yep. Not something you would expect. I, I would not, like I said, my level of expertise when it came to Iowa was Field of Dreams and Slipknot. That was basically right. all I knew. And, <laughs> and I knew you had corn there because of, of Field of Dreams. Yep. Yeah. 
there's some fun stuff to do around here. We got a lot of stuff on, on uh, Mississippi and Missouri River. We got like the Queen Marie steamboat. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff to do around here, actually, especially when you get to the eastern side of Iowa to, to, by the Mississippi River, like like Keokuk, Burlington, Iowa. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do down there. Like you can get on like the Queen Marie Marie uh, has a has sister boat up in uh, on Okaboji. You can go there on a steamboat ride, and there's a lot of fun stuff. A lot of fun I, stuff. I too. love that I learned a new word today. I never heard of Okaboji before, and now Okaboji. And I know what's going to happen is in the comments of this podcast. People are going to be like, he's right. That is awesome. And that's so much fun. And that candy bar is amazing. And hopefully, um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's, I, I think there's going to be, and I don't know when, and I hate to use trite sayings like when the world gets back to normal or whatever, but eventually there is going to be something, a cure, a vaccine. Eventually, we are going to be able to start moving about the cabin freely once again, whenever that is. I don't know. Right. But I think that because people have been unable to to travel for so long now, I see a travel boom coming where people, even if it's not internationally, but going on road trips and kind of discovering the beauty that is in this country that has so much to offer already and going on RV trips or whatever. Um, you know, I love the idea that maybe somebody would be like, well, I heard them talking on the podcast about these things in Iowa and like, we got to go there. So let's go through Iowa and check that out or whatever. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people kind of having this need to go out and see things because they've been stuck at home for so long. At least I hope I've always had the travel bug. I don't know about you, but I love to travel. Mm hmm. And oh, just absolutely. See new things. What about internationally? Have you done much travel internationally? Never been internationally. Uh, been to Canada, but I've never been really outside the country for sure. Well, that you know that's going to happen when the band really starts taking off and the world opens up in whatever way it's going to open up. So, yeah, we sell there... a lot of records in Germany, so I'm excited for it. Well, there you go. You could take your dad. I mean, they got, yeah. you know, they're probably Klaus Mine statues in the streets over there. So <laughs> he can go to where his love of the scorpions came from. I know, right? I know. That's <laughs> what I told him, too. I'm like, man, if we're going over there, I'll bring you over there. It'll be it'll be awesome. Yeah, I heard they have great beer there, too. So, yep. I have not been to Germany, but a lot of the people that I've talked to that have been, they're like, oh, yeah, it's you can party pretty hard over there. Yeah. Some of my closest friends, uh, Pat and Soka, she's born and bred and raised over in Germany. Uh, they met her when he was in the military. They live over here. They go over there, well, used to be once, twice a year, but they haven't been over there yeah. you know, this year. But, uh, yeah, they're like, you guys have to come over there. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so much fun. Well, I, I am so grateful that you took the time. It was so nice to meet you, even though it was this way. Right. Um, I love being able to introduce people to new bands. It's something that I've always loved is, you know, there's a lot of great bands out there, but you got to dig through a lot of the noise to try and find them, you know, that there's yep. just so much going on in the world and so much on social media that it's still really hard for bands to kind of get the word out that they're out there and to get their music heard. So I love finding bands and being able to tell people like, oh yeah, you got to check these guys out. And so, you know, I, I was really excited that you guys wanted to be on the podcast and I'm super excited to be able to introduce everybody to you guys. I appreciate it. We got a lot of love brother's for a slack ass having a, <laughs> having a baby. Can't what? make time for me. What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, I'm really please, excited. Please, yeah. um, you know, when you guys start booking shows next year, you know, when when Boston gets added to that list, you know, there's a Fluffernutter and the Mistress Carrie tour of Boston love in it. the future. And, um, you know, I want to extend the invitation that I, you know, say to everybody that comes on the podcast. I told you about my video show. It's every Tuesday night we go live and it's called Cocktails in the War Room. And it's from the room in my house that is dedicated to all of the military memorabilia and all the things that I that I have in my family's lineage and the military. And it started because of COVID and being locked in the house. And now I can bring in live guests. Awesome. And people that hang out on the show can ask questions and all of that stuff. So consider yourself cordially invited to join me for a cocktail in the war room. Absolutely. Because I'm way excited. I know everybody would love to be able to meet you. So once the podcast comes out, then then I'll call you back and get you in the war room to hang out with us. Perfect. Let's All do right. it. Yep. It was so great to meet you. Congratulations on the record. Thank you. And, um, you know, I'll have all of the links for the band and all of your social pages and the links to the videos and everything in the description of the podcast so people can check you out. And there's always a corresponding playlist with every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. So all of your music will be in there. Okay. But also all of the other music that we talked about will be in there as well because you never know. Maybe somebody never heard of the Scorpions and your dad just turned somebody onto the Scorpions Sco- now. You're welcome. You never know. <laughs> awesome. No, that's exciting. I, I, I do appreciate you having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. Well, I loved having you, and please come back, you know, anytime. And definitely once you guys start booking the tour, uh, we'll be in touch because I can't wait to get you guys to Boston. There's a lot of rabid rock fans up here, and we are, we are missing uh, being able to get together and experience those shows together, and we're just chomping at the bit to get out of the house and go to see some shows and to support some bands. So we can't wait to meet you in person. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm excited. Tell the rest of the guys the band we said hi. Thanks so much. Will do. Thank we'll you. Talk. We'll talk soon. Yep. Well, there he is, Blake from Salt. I hope you guys uh, loved him as much as I did. Like I said in the interview, all the links to the band and him, all the social media stuff, the band website, everything in the description of the podcast, along with the custom playlist. Huge thanks to the sponsors this week, Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com. And the newest sponsor of the Mistress Carrie podcast, Digital Federal Credit Union or DCU at dcu.org. We have been working together for over a decade and I'm so happy to get them involved with the podcast. So welcome DCU. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, including the sit reps. And if you don't mind leaving us a five-star review and a comment so I know how you like the episode, get your Mistress Carrie backstage pass at patreon.com slash Mistress Carrie or search for Mistress Carrie on the Cameo app so I can make you a custom video for Thanksgiving or the holidays or the new year. And keep your eyes out. MistressCarrie.com is coming very soon with the online Mistress Carrie store. And don't forget to join me every Tuesday night at 8.30, live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room.